Hi everybody and welcome to the Junction Church Podcast. We pray that this message inspires and encourages you. If you would like to find out any more information about us, then please visit our website at www.thejunctionchurch.com. Thank you for listening. Um, When I was uh, 16, I went to work for a local TV and video store. They used to rent out TVs and videos. Uh, Every small town had one. Uh, You don't see them anymore. Um, Nobody, some people rent TVs, I suppose, but very few people would. Why would you? Um, It doesn't pay to rent anymore because they're so reliable. Back, Back in the early 80s, uh, some people still rented, but that kind of um, that kind of uh, business was slowing down. But videos came out. Who remembers the first videos? You have to be alive in the 1980s to remember the first videos. And uh, the the um, I remember selling my first uh, Ferguson. Um, oh, the lights are doing funny things. And uh, the, uh, selling my first Ferguson. It was a 3V23. It had little keys on the front, and you press the eject button, and it almost exploded. The thing would uh, bang up the Carmen for the VHS, and you would put. And I remember how much they were. They were 419 pounds. In 1982, 490, which today's money makes it around 1,200 pounds. Uh, And not only that, they broke down consistently. The heads would go, they were dreadful. And so we would encourage the uh, owners, uh, the people who wanted a video player to, to buy the TV and rent the video player. Because if they bought it... They, in one year's time, the guarantee was up and so was their video player. <laughs> but if they rented it, they could have it for years and we would just keep replacing the heads and doing all the necessary work to keep it going. And uh, in that business, I had a manager and the manager was a, was a guy that, um, he, he was in his 60s and he was, a, he was sort of ex-Jack the Lad, sort of made good. If you kind of understand, he had been a bit of a Jack the Lad in his, in his younger days, uh, I suspect, just by the kind of the conversations I would earwig in to all his friends that he'd spent all his life working with. And they, they all were part of, worked at different branches in different uh, parts of the business. The company had a number of uh, branches in small towns around in East Sussex. And, and uh, so the, my, my uh, manager, his name was Fred Diamond, and uh, a classic sort of English uh, Jack the Lad character with the perfect name. And, uh, and, and he, was, he was one of these characters that um, he, he, he generally expected more from his staff than he put in himself. But, but when he did work, he worked really, really hard. It would be all or nothing with my manager, Fred. And, and he, would, um, he would just sort of, he, would, he wasn't averse to going home early if necessary. That wasn't allowed for the rest of the staff. And uh, so, but I always remember, I, w- I would have the keys for the shop because I was always first one there. And so I'd get in, I would unlock, and I'd repair the shop for the day business. And a lot of that would be setting up of the, um, setting up of the jobs for the engineers to go out and repair all the Ferguson 3V23s. And, uh, but if at any point in that day I was kind of daydreaming or drifting off because I have been known to lose attention. And uh, as some of you may have noticed that while talking to me, that my eyes just drift away. And it's not, it's not personal, it's not that I'm bored or anything, it's, it's called an attention deficit. 
<laughs> something. And uh, so, and I, and I sometimes drift away. And this would happen to me even when I was 16, and it would happen to me. I'd be working away, and then he would come up behind me, and he would shout in my ear, Come on, wake up, England! And it would be, Oh, yes, sir. <laughs> and, and it's quite it's a funny, funny thing that. That even though in all of his inconsistencies, there was this sense in which he wanted me to work hard. And that desire for me, that kind of, come on, wake up England, would somehow put a rise in my spirit. And I would, I would suddenly feel the desire to work harder and, and maximize my potential as the boy in the business that did everything that, that nobody else wanted to do. <laughs> that was my role. As a 16-year-old in the shop, my role was to do everything that nobody else. I had to hoover the, the uh, shop. I had to clean it up. I had to set it up and set it down and, and, and the day's business. And so that was kind of my role. And, and I, I found myself enjoying my, my manager's um, enthusiasm for me to work. And it gave me an inspiration to just put in a, a little bit more effort. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, we're going to read through the first eight verses one more time. It says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we being many are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith or ministry. Let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, and he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Now I've noticed that there are the key factor of these three verses, the last three verses, six, seven, and eight, that is the amount of effort required to be put in to maximize their impact. It says, if you have, it says, if you have a gift of prophecy, then let us prophesy in proportion to our faith or, or ministry. Let's use it in our ministry. You know, Pastor James said last week, he spoke about how Jamaica produces more sprinters than any other country in the world per head of population, and certainly in terms of success. Uh, and, and he spoke about the fact that probably the Jamaicans were predisposed um, genetically to be probably slightly better runners than the rest of the world. But that, you know, being predisposed only puts you in the classroom, it doesn't make you successful. And so it requires, it puts a gift in your life, but that gift means you've got to put in an effort to make it work. We notice that Kenyans are, are predisposed to long distance running. You notice that Kenyans, they're, they're a, a, a smaller build, um, slight, sort of smaller, lightweight, and just kind of like these incredible long distance, they can just run forever. And, and it, you look at them and you just feel jealous that you would be able to do that. And Jamaicans have a, have a, a, a larger build and, and very m more muscular. And they just seem to be able to, to genetically more likely to be able to run. And so you've got this genetic predisposed ability, but that's it. 
What happens after that is the amount of effort people put in to make the gift work. And this morning, I want to speak about the maximum effort that we need to put in to make the gift work. Now, the problem with that kind of statement is it can be, by nature, slightly discouraging. What, you mean I have to put in more effort? I thought I'd done enough. (laughs) I've worked hard all week. I don't want, what, more effort? I, I want you to understand there are three values that we put in that automatically creates maximum effort. All right? And, you know, when I was working in the, in the video shop, it was, it was the successes. It was the type of things that I did that created me to want to do more. It was the, when I sold, when I was uh, sold a television or a video player, when, when I had managed something well, when I had understood uh, the amount of work the engineers had and I'd, I'd sort of made decisions on behalf of the engineers as to, as to what jobs should go where and how that should work. And, and I was rewarded with, with praise from my manager for those kind of effort. That in itself, the simple decision-making process, that in itself buoyed my ability to just give more. What often happens is that we feel like that we have to give more when we don't feel like we've got any more to give. But, but God has more for you to give. He, has, he, he wants you to maximize the gift that rests on your life. And to maximize it, I've got three points. I haven't done a three-point message in a very long time. I've been telling all our preachers, don't preach three-point sermons. We don't do those anymore. But I made the rules, I break the rules, all right? (laughs) So there are three, and I want you to see that there are three types of people that in their actions, they produce a maximum effort. And the first one is Joyce Patterson. Actually, it isn't. I never wrote that down. The first one is the student. (laughs) The first one is the student. And you know, the landscape of your life is altered by the effort placed in the learning how. The landscape of your life is altered by the effort of learning how. How does something work? See, see, when you learn, when you give yourself to being a student, you apply yourself to values which open up your understanding. They open up your wisdom and they give you the impetus to go a bit further. The biggest problem with our lives is that we, we don't understand what it is that God is doing in our lives. We haven't stretched our understanding and the, the, the capacity of our hearts and minds to, to push in a little bit further, to know what is that gift that's on our lives. And if we haven't pushed into that, then, then we haven't unlocked what our potential is. You see, you're only born with potential. You're not born with ability. And your ability is discovered in your learning. It's in your learning process. My mother was an artist of exceptional gifting. Um, And she was, in many parts, discouraged from going into art because she was born in the late 1930s. And in that time period, uh, uh, a woman was more encouraged um, encouraged to just sort of get their education, learn how to sew, learn how to cook, get married, and leave work. You, you, you get a job, and then once you got married, you left, your, you left your work because you were married, and married women didn't work. It was the responsibility of the husband to bring home. There's lots of women thinking, oh, that sounds good. And, 
<laughs> just go to work and earn all the money. I've got lots of things to do. And uh, so, but what happened is that my mother, so she was discouraged from the gifting on her life, which was being an artist. And so it was actually in, in my early childhood years that she really sort of picked it up in full swing and said, no, I am an artist. And she, she gave herself far more to learning how to be an artist and how to paint. And, and art is something which flows through the whole family. And, and the one thing that I remember in all the time that she would paint all these beautiful pictures, but the thing that kept her going wasn't so much the art, it was the art lessons. It was the art lessons that kept her going. And I remember her excitement. She had a number of mentors and people that she would, she would constantly refer back to. And if she would, didn't know how to paint something, she would phone them up and she would go to the art class and she would learn different ways of painting and, and different ways of drawing and using, um, she would paint with oils and she would, um, sketch with, uh, oil pastels and and with pencil and and, uh, she was always trying out new ideas and sometimes she would try and do a bit of ink and and there was just these different ways of of learning and she never ever stopped right up until the day that she passed away. She was still going to art lessons and learning how, how to paint because the student, when you give yourself to the applying of learning how to work something, it gives you the energy to put in that extra effort. It says in, in Roman, it, sorry, sorry, it says in Proverbs chapter 4, Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 5, it says this. Get wisdom, get understanding. Do not forget how to turn, do, sorry, get wisdom, get understanding. Do not forget nor turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will preserve you. Love her and she will keep you. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom, and in all you're getting, get understanding. See, the key to walking in the maximum effort of God is the fresh manner that comes from God. And fresh manner that comes from God is something that is only found in the learning process not the knowing already knowing process. What you already know is manner that you've already received. You with me here? And so what you've already received is, is, is encouraging of itself. But what you need for tomorrow's energy is new revelation, new understanding, a new impetus of driving and pushing forward. And you only found that, find that in applying, giving yourself to be the student that learns and understands. And just asking yourself, reading books. Can I encourage you, even if you don't read? I grew up not really enjoying reading. I was... Probably a, a little bit more um, dyslexic than, than my, my brother. Um, Jonathan's dad, Michael, he, he read all the books in the house several times over. He definitely loves his books. And, and uh, he would read them. And I was jealous because I, I just couldn't get into reading. I, uh, and I just sort of couldn't get it. But, but I discovered this in my later teenage years that even though I hadn't probably read one book all the way through, apart from Thomas the Tank Engine... <laughs> <laughs> and books that I was ordered to read by my school teacher. Uh, other than that, I hadn't freely read a book. I realized that if I want to learn, I've got to read. I encourage you, just push the boat out. You, you may think, well, what's this got to do with 
faith and God. It's got everything because God gave you a brain. He gave you eyeballs and he gave you the capacity to learn and understand. And if you don't read, you don't learn. Give yourself and just push the boat out. Find something you can read and read it. Get yourself into the habit. Start with Thomas the Tank Engine if that's what it takes. <laughs> Trust me, you'll enjoy it. And, uh, <laughs> and see, what happens is this, is that the application of the student is the one who is given the energy. The moment the person resigns from learning is the moment they've given up on their future potential. Because they've stopped learning anything new. And now they're going to have to swim around in, in, in the same old, same old of what they've always been doing. That's what makes you old. That's how you get old because you stop learning. A student is always young at heart. And so when you give yourself to, to the energy of learning, then you give yourself the ability to, to push yourself forward. The second person is the planner. You know, few good things happen by chance. You know, there, there are many occasions that chances are that you will bump into people in strange places around the world, in, in airports that you don't think anyone knows you, and they come up and go, hello, what are you doing here? Oh, and you just uh, these, these random moments. Random moments happen, right? But your life is not random. Your life is planned out. And the person who walks by those plans and applies them to their life is the person that begins to unlock their full potential. The successful bless their future with the action of wisdom in their present. Let me say that to you again. The successful bless their future with the action of wisdom in their present. Use your present to plan your future. Apply wisdom to the now that your future unfolds. Your future doesn't just happen because you say wonderful faith statements. It happens because you plan out the action of your life. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 8. 2 Corinthians 9 verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you. That you always having all sufficiency in all things may abound in every good work. Now, this verse is, can be misinterpreted as being a verse that says, oh, well, that's, that's great then, isn't it? And God is able to make all grace abound toward you that you always, having all sufficiency in all things, may have abundance in every good work. And what that says, people interpret that and they go, well, that's all right then. God's taken care of it. He's just given me everything I need. Job done. But that isn't job done, is it? That's just the resource to do the job. That's not the job done. When I used to have my workshops and I would make furniture, the first thing I did was I ordered enough stock to do the job. And I didn't start the job until the stock had arrived. And so I had all the timber, I had the glues, I had the the lacquers and the stains, I had the screws, I had all the machinery, everything I needed to do the job. Then I started the job. The sufficiency is in the supply. The plan is in the work that builds it. See, God gives you all sufficiency. In other words, he supplies your need. It's your responsibility to put a plan around that. 
and decide how you're going to work your life. Put a plan to what God is giving you. You'll go, oh, I, don't, I don't know whether... See, most people spend their life not making a decision because they don't know that their life has... that there is a sufficiency in all things. I need you to understand, God has promised he will supply all the things that you need. So put a plan into place. Even before the furniture had arrived, I already had a diagram of what I was going to make. I already had a plan in place. And then when everything came together, the plan took a hold. And suddenly a a mess of timber sitting on the side became a beautiful piece of furniture. We've got to understand that God, he ordains us to work for his kingdom. The Bible says the harvest is plenty, the laborers are few. The sufficiency is plentiful. Those who apply themselves to the plan are few and far between. We're not a church that shrinks back from the work of doing the Great Commission. We are called to put in effort. When you've got a plan, maximum effort is what automatically flows from it. How many of you know that... um, um, keeping fit, I actually shared, uh, there's a fantastic um, parody of um, Adele's Hello. I've heard it, some of you, I've, I've put it on Facebook, I encourage you to watch it, uh, because it's a fantastic parody of, of people keeping fit, and, or not keeping fit, and preferring the pie rather than the gym. And, uh, and it's, it's a fantastic, because I think we all understand that feeling, really, don't we? I mean, everyone, yes, I keep fit. Secretly. Because <laughs> we all really like the cake, don't we? we uh, I made some, made some ginger, like, uh, they were like sort of oat cakes, but they were, and they had uh, ginger oat cakes, but they had ginger um, golden syrup, and it was basically all sugar. It was golden syrup, oak, um, oat, butter, sugar, in vast quantities, not many oats, lots of golden syrup <laughs> and ginger. And then once that was cooked, on top was golden syrup, butter, sugar. <laughs> and let, let me tell you something. <laughs> they were awesome. And, uh, <laughs> we were just, you know, <laughs> thank you, Jesus. <laughs> It's extraordinary how we desire to eat. And it's like, but then inside, oh, it's just maximum effort. Oh, I've got to keep fit in it. And something in your heart, it, it's like, how do I make myself keep fit? Well, here's the thing. This is how you put a plan into action and the plan puts the energy for the maximum effort. See, something doesn't come from nothing. Something doesn't come from nothing. What you want in your life is peace and joy, the success of your heart and your dream, the gifts of your life working. Something doesn't come from nothing. It comes from a plan. It comes from the action of something else. With you put in the action of the something else, the rest follows. And many people are asking for God, come and change this. And God, come and do that. But they didn't put the plan into place. Not knowing that the sufficiency was already there, supplied for them. The last, the last person who creates a maximum effort is the boss. Why don't you turn around and say to someone, you're the boss. 
No, I'm the boss. You're the boss. Everyone wants to be... Let me tell you, in any given environment, everyone knows who the boss is. Any given environment, everyone knows who the boss is. I was driving through Ellen today uh, on the way into church. I was coming through from the 30 to the 40. I've no idea how fast I was going. Uh, I believe I was doing 40. Uh, in the 40. And, uh, but I suddenly saw, coming very quickly from behind me, police car lights flashing. <laughs> <laughs> What was I doing, Cheryl? What was it? I wasn't to be. I wasn't, was I? And then Cheryl suddenly said, it's all right. You're now in the 60s zone. I am in the 60s zone. But, but was he following? Was he behind me? Did I speak? I don't know. What I know is this. As soon as I saw those blue flashing lights, I knew who the boss was. <laughs> <laughs> now, fortunately, he followed me very closely up to the uh, Ellen Bypass roundabout, and I went off to Aberdeen, and he turned around and went back again. <laughs> Jesus, you love me, you love me. <laughs> but the thing about the policeman that gives him the authority—it's not the—it's uh, not the, the pips on his on his uniform that gives him that confidence of being the boss. It's the the authority placed upon him by the crown to exercise the law as he rightfully is required to do. And so his confidence of authority is, is based on the authority of the crown that's been invested in him. You know, in 1 Samuel, uh, sorry, 2 Samuel and chapter 22, David sings this song. 2 Samuel 22, verse 32. For who is God except the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? God is my strength and power and makes my way perfect. He makes my feet like the feet of deer and sets me on high places. Now that word set in the Hebrew means a secure and confident place. In other words, David knows he's the boss because of where the boss put him. It's like... The authority of the centurion speaking to Christ. The centurion says to Jesus, I am also a man under authority. Therefore, I say, come and they come, go and they go. He knew his position of authority because the authority that had been invested into him. You've got to know God puts your feet in secure places. Therefore, you are the boss. When you know you're the boss, you live with the confidence of being the boss and you change your language, you change the way you live and it gives you the strength, the encouragement and the responsibility to go, I'm putting in maximum effort. The boss, the real boss, doesn't go home early. My manager, Fred, he was never the real boss. He was, a, he was an okay boss, but, but he wasn't really the boss boss. The boss boss lived in the town down the road and he would turn up every so often. And when he did turn up, my goodness, was that place ship shape. <laughs> Suddenly we were. Why? Because the boss is coming. Now, I need you to understand. See, God put your feet in secure places. He places you. In other words, see, when you've got confidence with your feet, you've got confidence to live your life. When I used to do uh, rock climbing, it was all about how confident I was in my feet. You had your hands and you had your handholds, but really it was where your feet went. It's kind of like, can I, 
Can I get my feet? Can I, give, can I push from there? I can hold from here, but can I push up from here? It was about the security of where my feet. The Bible says your feet have been placed in secure places. They've been set. Set is a very powerful word. It means held to, glued. It's strong in its place. And God has called you to be the boss of your life. And when you're the boss of your life, you have authority and the confidence to live out the potential of who you are and go, the gift that is on my life is not just going to be a gift that never sees the light of day. It is going to fulfill everything that God has ordained for my life. I'm going to prophesy, if I can prophesy, I'm going to prophesy with such encouragement and such value to every person that I'm able to. And if I am going to minister and serve, then I'm going to serve as much as I possibly can. If I am going to lead, then I am going to be a leader of great integrity. Why? Well, because the response, God set my feet in secure places. This is, this is where maximum effort comes from. And you know, when you, when you, if you don't apply these values, What becomes your value is disappointment. See, disappointment very easily takes over the disappointment of things that didn't work. The disappointment of things, of people that you you interacted with. How many of you know people can upset you? Just people. Anyone can do that, to be honest with you. Absolutely anyone. Your responsibility on your life is actually... It's not their responsibility not to upset you. It's your responsibility not to be upset. Yeah. You're responsible because you've got no power over, over what they do. Your responsibility is one, not to upset. Two, forgive them. Three, let it go. And move on. You know why? Because the 99.9% chance they didn't mean it. And actually what they meant was something completely different. You just picked it up wrong. <laughs> See, God... But disappointment stops us from putting in maximum effort. It causes us to hold back a bit. Disappointment goes, "Hmm, you know what? I'm going to hold back a little bit for myself just in case. But faith has no back door. Faith doesn't hold out more. God calls us. He calls us to put in maximum. And maximum requires the confidence of someone who's applying themselves to the principles of a student, a planner, a boss. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions or you'd like to find out contact information or service times, then don't forget to visit our website, www.junctionchurch.com. God bless.